Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. So I was searching through my email earlier today before the show. I had just written a column, and I was looking for to find out what was going on with Reese Davis. Is he coming on the show? So I searched in the subject line, Reese Davis, and up popped an email that Reese Davis wrote me in November of 2008, 14 years ago. Apparently, Reese Davis wrote a column I wrote about Bob Jeremiah, a former Oregon State football player, and the journey of his helmet and Reese sent a kind note to me, and I finally answered him today, 14 years later, and I'm bringing him on. Reese, I am so sorry I didn't write you back. <laughs> you know what? The thing is, is when I saw that email, uh, I'm sure it was an excellent uh, piece of prose that you put forth. <laughs> I can't remember the story now when I saw it because I didn't really reference in detail yeah. about the story. So refresh, just for my own edification and to make me feel like I'm not too old. <laughs> Refresh my memory about the story that I that I like. Bob Bob Jeremiah was a football player at Oregon State. They beat the Giant Killers. They beat you know USC and OJ Simpson, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he gave his helmet away after the game to a kid. And then Bob Jeremiah went off to Vietnam and lived a life and had kids. And years later, this helmet had passed through several people, and I just sort of followed the helmet's journey. And it finally was given back to Bob Jeremiah's family as a gift. And I, I wrote it on Thanksgiving Day in 2008, the journey of this helmet. And Reese Davis must have read it, and he wrote me a nice note about it. So thank you. I do recall the story now that you said that, but I'm not sure that I would have, I would have ever been able to pull it just, uh, just <laughs> thinking about it. You know, there have been, been a lot of things, and, and all of these newspapers now that I used to really enjoy reading the articles of the local beat writers now you got to pay and yeah. you say okay well it's only a dollar for six months what well, you i mean it's like seven thousand subscriptions you know at some point yeah. i finally i've i've quit all of that but we digress anyway. well but, i gotta tell you i'm writing now you can get a free subscription to johnconzano.com i'm still writing there and <laughs> i'll send you a link to it all right let's talk right. about Let's talk about your journey here. Um, you know, I'm bummed that you're getting bad weather because like a week ago it was beautiful and sunny. Now you're coming in and the whole country's going to think it just pours rain here all the time. And I don't know this is good for our brand, but you get a chance to go around the country with the game day crew and hosting that. What's that like to you for to parachute in and get a flavor of college football in a bunch of different places? Well, I think it's really what makes the show special, and we, we really attempt to cover the entire landscape of the sport and i always say that we try to go where the best story is every week and not necessarily where the place is where the two teams have the lowest numbers beside them in terms of their ranking and being able to come here uh with with what chip has been able to do at the start of the season with ucla and oregon's nice bounce back after the opening loss to georgia is a cool opportunity you know dillingham and, uh, you know, Kenny said that he blamed us for the bad weather. He said it hasn't rained once since I lived here. And now you guys come and it's going to rain all weekend. So. The, the first, you know, my grandma would say, you know, you get one chance to make a first impression. That Georgia game for Oregon was not a good first impression. 
Is this a chance for Oregon to get that taste out of the mouth and you know, reintroduce themselves to people? Maybe it is for the, you know, for them personally and for their pursuit of the Pac-12. Uh, but John, I'm not going to be disingenuous. I think that is such an albatross that anything larger than winning the Pac-12 championship is beyond their reach. Um, and that look, that's a that's a worthy goal and quite an accomplishment if they're able to do that. But I think that in this era of only four teams making the playoff, you can lose. That's been proven, but you can't lose like that. And I I advocated in 2016 when Penn State won the Big Ten but had two losses, one of which was a 39-point blowout at the hands of Michigan that they did not belong, and argued the same in 2017 when Ohio State, despite being Big, 12, uh, Big Ten champions, had a 31-point loss to a mediocre Iowa team. I don't think you're going to lose that way and make a 14 playoff absent maybe every other team you're competing with for that fourth spot having a similar type of smudge on the resume. So I'm not going to sit here and go, yeah, they can get back in it and erase all of the, you know, the, the bad visions that people have from them playing Georgia. I think they can help their own confidence. I, obviously, it puts them in great position for the conference race. And maybe you know they would just have to hope that everybody else had a major shovel-to-the-face moment that would put everyone on equal footing. And then maybe some, you know, being a long way removed from that loss would help them in the long run. But realistically, I think that uh, I think that's uh, that's probably too heavy a weight to carry uh, to hope for anything more than a Pac-12 championship. Which, when I say that, I don't mean to diminish that. That is that's a major accomplishment to be able to do that and and go to the Rose Bowl. The ecosystem of college athletics has been on my mind as I watch the Big Ten deal and USC and UCLA defecting and Texas and. Uh, you know, going to the to the SEC and, you know, Texas and Oklahoma. But, you know, the health of the ecosystem, Reese, like you're in that business. This is, you know, in your wheelhouse. How do you see sort of the health of the college game? Are you at all concerned with what you're seeing? It, it's a tough question to answer because I don't think anything is going to really crush the health of college football. But I do think that we're losing some of the character. Um, I worry about the sport becoming homogenized because almost by definition, when you're in a conference with a certain group of teams, um, unless you're at some type of competitive disadvantage, maybe like, uh, you know, like a Georgia Tech back in the day and you choose to run option in order to be competitive, uh, basically you start playing the same way. And one of the, one of the appealing factors of college football over the years is there's been a little bit of a, a distinct characteristic depending on what conference you played in. And then there was that uh, that inherent argument about which way's better, which one's more difficult to defend, which one in a particular year is going to carry the day and win a championship. And, you know, all of those things I think are good for the health of the sport. And we're going to lose some of that because everybody's going to be a little bit homogenized. Um, I also worry about um, – I worry about the loss of the be-all, end-all regular season game. And I accept the argument that more games will be will matter, but I also think it's true that the big games will matter less, uh, meaning that you're not going to have the winner-take-all stakes that you find from time to time in the regular season in college football, a characteristic that you find in no other sport. And, you know, so there's a trade-off is what I'm saying. It may be time to pay that price. It may be time to expand the playoff and, and give up some of those mammoth October games that might resonate 
and determine a team's fate, or in Oregon's case, uh, a game early in the season, which because of the way it went, weighs the rest of the season. And if you're an Oregon fan in that particular instance, you look at that and you go, well, that's good. I, I, I don't want that to weigh on me. But at the same time, if you are involved in one of those giant November games, winner-take-all feel, there's an appeal to that, and I think there's a value to that, and we're, we're, we're going to lose some of that. And for that part of it, I'm, I'm concerned about it. As far you know, and I don't mean to ramble on, but as far as the conference affiliation, um, you know, we're headed toward uh, a split, I think, eventually, where the major football-playing institutions and the conferences affiliated with them are going to govern themselves. And, you know, and you're not looking at 131 teams that will be involved in that. I would say it would probably be something a little over half of that, you know, probably in the 70s, maybe around 80 teams that would, uh, that would be involved. And they'll, they'll set their own structure. I would imagine there would be revenue sharing involved in some, in some fashion and all of the things that are going to sort of change, change the way college football feels. I think it will still be popular. I know I'll still love it with every fiber of my being, but it will be different. Reese Davis, host College Game Day, is our guest. Let's go back to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, on the, uh, <laughs> along the Tennessee River. We find a young Reese Davis hanging out with friends or maybe playing sports. Uh, like, did you think, you know, one day I want to be at something like ESPN, or what, what were your aspirations before going to Alabama? Well, I, um, I, I did want to do this. Now, I always thought it would come at the end of a long and illustrious playing career, and that didn't exactly happen, nor did it come close to happening. But, uh, you know, I've always loved this, and I always loved, um, I always loved the broadcasting of the, of the events, too, because, you know, it wasn't, to me, just playing, which I love, and I played football and basketball, you know, through high school. But uh, it was also, you know, a kid, a little kid, Back before every game was on television, I would be lying on the floor in my bedroom, spinning the radio dial, trying to pick up the next college football game on Saturday night. And I've always had a deep affection for it, and, and it's what I wanted to do. Now, plenty of people uh, over the years, you know, when you were first starting, say it was crazy, you know, to aspire to be a DSP. And you know, I've been blessed and fortunate that it's that it's worked out for me, and the family supported me and allowed me to pursue this. And um, you know, I'm I'm very grateful for the opportunity. You know, the the crew that you work with, you got a bunch of talented people. You know, how do you sort of you know you, that's an orchestra that you've got to play as a host on that. How do you navigate that in the role that you have and get everybody involved? And you know, for those of us who just see the broadcast. Uh, how is that working for you on game day, and, and what do you see your role as? I think the role of what I have to do it well, and I don't, and I don't someone else has to judge that I do it well. That gets the listeners ultimately determine that. I pursue and attempt to do it well. I think a good host is a conversation with those uh, her own judgment of the situation, knows when to push back, knows how to push back in a way, even if you might agree with the point that, that someone on the set is making, push back in a way that's not disingenuous, that assigns you to a position you don't believe, but yeah. does say, well, what about this perspective? So I think, I think we are, uh, we're having trouble with Reeve Davis's phone. 
Uh, we'll try to grab him back here. Let's take a quick break, and we'll have more with Reese Davis coming up. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, we've got Reese Davis back, ESPN's College Game Day. I won't keep you long, Reese, but, you know, just the idea, you know, you've got Corso, you've got, you know, other personalities, you've got a guest picker. You're, what's your role in this, and how do you sort of orchestrate that? I think the first thing is you have to build trust with everybody on the set, and a lot of that comes with things that happen off the air so that they know uh, that you're invested, that you're prepared, and that you have their best interest at heart. That's the first thing. And then I think picking your spots, uh, being able to interject your judgment of a situation when appropriate, knowing when to push back, all those things I think uh, help aid the chemistry of something like that. I think back to uh, something Bob Knight said to me at one at one point. He looked at me once and he goes, and I worked with Bob uh, calling basketball games for a number of years. He said, you know, you're like John Buck. And I thought, who, does, who is he talking about? Is he talking about Joe Buck? Is he talking about Jack Buck? And I said, who, who's John Buck? He said, well, when I was a boy, he said, John Buck was a famous lion tamer. He had a whip and a chair, and he kept the lions at bay. He said, that's kind of what you do. <laughs> so I think there's probably a bit, of a, a bit of that element to it as well. 1998, 1999, I covered Indiana basketball as a beat reporter, and I got to cover him, and I loved it. It was never boring. I didn't agree with everything he did, but it was never boring. What was it like to work with Knight? He, he was great, and I've been close to him. It's one of those things where when you develop a relationship with someone, it doesn't mean that you agree with everything that they've done or everything that they've said and that you're always in, in lockstep with them, but I know a different side of him from the public persona. I've seen him be extraordinarily generous and kind and and considerate of other people who could do nothing for him. And there aren't there you know, that is a mark of character too. And all of us, you know, don't want to be judged by our worst moments. And I know there are a number of things that uh, Bob has done over the years that's controversial, some that aren't controversial, some that just weren't the right thing to do. And, you know, there's, there's nobody questions that. But I think there's another side that gets ignored that he has, he has meant a lot to a lot of people. And he's, he's always been good to me, uh, very, uh, you know, very loyal to me. And because of that, you know, I, I, try, to, I try to always be fair and loyal to him uh, in, in that same way. That doesn't mean he's perfect. doesn't mean I condone everything he's ever said or done or anything of that nature. But during his time with us, uh, at ESPN, he was he was a great coworker, a great teammate, and uh, and and actually fun to be around, and had had great stories, and he and he gave me something that I use almost uh, on my podcast uh, every week. He, he'd always tell me, you know, my boy, dumb loses more than smart wins. He said, you know, all, all these coaches try to outsmart somebody. He said, but usually, he said somebody does something dumb, and you'll lose the game. Dumb loses more than smart wins. All right, before I cut you loose, Chip Kelly's return. you got a bunch of storylines here. Dan Lanning, Kelly, both having two weeks to prepare. What do you expect, Oregon, UCLA, at, at Autzen Stadium? Uh, I think you're going to have a, a high-powered offensive game. Both teams determined to run the ball. I think it'll be a lot more physical than people who haven't watched these programs week in and week out, as your listeners have. 
might realize these are two uh, two really physical, tough football teams who want to establish themselves on the ground, and I think it's going to be a really entertaining game tomorrow in Austin. All right. You stay safe. Stay dry. I'll see you at the stadium. Reese, thanks for making time. Sounds good. You bet. All right. See there you he is. Bye-bye. All right. Reese Davis finally got him on the show. We kept him on the show. Nice job, Peter, getting him back on. Um, I want takeaways on that. Uh, Steven, let's kick this around. Peter, let's kick this around. Uh, he says Oregon cannot overcome the 49-3. I'm not ready to go there. Like, I think there's a lot of ball left to play. I think Oregon needs to make another first impression. That's the task of Dan Lanning. It's not just winning this game and winning out. You've got to continue to make new impressions on the committee and on people and make them forget or maybe excuse the week one performance. Yeah, I agree with you. I disagree with Reese. I think if Oregon can beat UCLA and get to that Pac-12 title game with only one loss, that's running the table in the Pac-12, which hasn't happened since Oregon did it. But if they can do that, they're going to get that win um, against UCLA. Oregon State, maybe they go on a run. That's going to be a good win at Oregon State. And then it'll probably be USC in the Pac-12 title game. And I think that's the big win that you have to get. That's going to get nationally respected. Like I think this win against UCLA, if they get it, will be respected. But it's the USC one at the end of the year. If they face it off in USC in the Pac-12 title game, I think that could bump them up to the CFP, obviously depending on what else happens in the nation. But I don't think they're out of it. I think right now Oregon, you know, they've proven that that week one was kind of a one-off uh, with you know weird situation, new coach, great Georgia team. So I think Oregon can make another uh, second impression, as you'd say. I think it's about winning with style, too, isn't it? I mean, you can run the table, and it'll be the typical, oh, yeah, well, outside of UCLA, USC, how great really is the Pac-12? Utah maybe you know didn't get off to the start we expected. But if you do it with style, let's say, and I'm not necessarily expecting this, but let's say you beat UCLA this weekend by 17, you run the table, you do, like you said, you handle USC in the Pac-12 title game. You have to consider Oregon. You have to. You don't want to get in a situation where Georgia is the SEC, you know, regular season. They get to the championship game, or maybe they lose to Alabama, and you've got a one-loss Georgia and a one-loss Alabama sitting at the end of the rainbow. That's not tough for the selection committee. It makes it very easy to put both Alabama and Georgia into the playoff and go, okay, there's no room for Oregon. They already got boat raced by Georgia. I think, um, you know... I, agree. I know what he's saying, and here's, what, here's why my heart sunk when he said it, because we all know the platform that game day has in the eyes of America, in the eyes of the top 25 voters, in the eyes of the selection committee even, even the, if no one will admit it, the problem that for Oregon is just what Reese Davis said. You know, that's such an albatross. I don't think they can overcome it. People won't, you know, they're going to remember week one. That's all they're going to remember, unfortunately. That's a real problem for Oregon. And, you know, I I cringe a little bit at the idea, and I've heard people say this, that, you know, USC could lose to Utah and still make the playoff. UCLA could lose to Oregon this weekend when with one loss against Oregon, still get to the playoff. You know, and it's almost like people are blind to the idea that, hey, wait a minute, why can't Oregon get there with a loss to Georgia? Well, they say, well, because we saw them play Georgia, and they, they did not belong in the same field as Georgia, and that's true in week one. And, but I also think, like, how could you put UCLA in the playoff with one loss if the loss is to Oregon? You're saying Oregon's not worthy, Oregon beat UCLA, but we'll still take UCLA? It makes no sense to me. So I do think we need to expand to 12 because right away 
you know, I'm I'm worried about like a the perception of the Pac-12 conference is tainted by this. You know, and if you're a diehard Pac-12 fan, maybe the easiest solution is that Oregon isn't the conference champion. Like, you know, and, and that USC or UCLA end up there. But I I just think if you're Oregon, you got to win these games and you have to make statements along the way. And I think there has to be some talking afterwards. That's why I keep saying, like, if Oregon wins this game against UCLA, Dan Lanning after the game has to have some bullet points where he goes, we're a different team than week one. We are busy putting week one further and further into the rearview mirror. We are overcoming it. Gosh, we're so much better on offense. We're so much better in defense. He has to start selling because there, there is an element here of getting to the four-team invitational tournament that is all about selling. It has nothing to do with what, really what's happening on the field. There's a lot of deserving teams that you could say, hey, these six or eight teams all could have an argument to be included in the playoff, but they just take the four best, and usually it's one or two SEC teams, and then you know it comes in, and then it's uh, you know who who's the Big Ten champion, and then maybe there's one spot left over for the Big Twelve and the Pac-12 that to to sort of fight over. And so, I really do hope that the committee keeps an open mind, and I really am going to be looking tomorrow for signs that Oregon really has taken those steps forward because if they haven't. There's no point in getting to the playoff and getting your teeth kicked in. And I sort of suspect Georgia's just that good. But I, you know, it remains to be seen. A lot of things happen between week one and week 12 of a college football season. So, John, if you're a Duck fan, are you rooting for Georgia to run the table? That way Tennessee yes. will have a loss, Alabama will have two losses. But at the same time, will the committee maybe put a rematch of Oregon-Georgia since we've already seen that? I would want to see, I think if I'm on the committee, what I really want to see is I want to see Georgia embarrass somebody else in the SEC. I want to see Georgia embarrass Tennessee. I want to see Georgia embarrass Alabama, not have Georgia emerge as a cloudy SEC champion or maybe not even the SEC champion. Let's say they get beat in the championship game by somebody. You don't want that if you're on the committee and you're wanting to put Oregon into the playoff. You want to see Georgia embarrass some other people and run the table, and maybe in your mind you're going, look, Everybody, nobody's as good as Georgia. Everybody would have been embarrassed by them in Atlanta on week one. You know, but Oregon's narrative is, it's an easy narrative. Like, look, you know, I'm sure the people at Nike and Oregon's marketing people are sitting around going, hey, look, here's what we got to do. You know, if we end up at the end of the rainbow 12-1, and one, we have to sell the idea, sell the committee on the idea that this Oregon team is different than the team that suited up in week one at Georgia, got ambushed. You have to sell that. I want your phone calls. What would you think of what Reese Davis said? 503-417-7575. U-A-N. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.